All right, folks. Today I got a special guest. I got Captain Chuck Ruffman. Ruffin. 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 <laughs> Ch- yeah. Captain Chuck Chuck Ruffin. Kind of got me a little computer. Chuck Ruffin. <laughs> Captain Chuck Ruffin from Space Force. Uh, we're gonna put a lot of conspiracy theories to rest. He's gonna help me in this. But first, folks, let me read off Health with Nino, folks. This is Health with Nino. If you started to notice an increase in the appearance of wrinkles, fine lines, bags under your eyes, or other usual signs of aging, it might be more than just stress, folks. Your collagen levels could be low. You've gotten older. You may have also found that your nails are more brittle, hair is thinner, and skin isn't looking as strong, which can all be related to declining collagen production. I'm impressed because in just a week of taking the premium collagen powder, I've noticed a significant reduction in the appearance of wrinkles and fine lines. My skin has once again regained its youthful glow, hydration, and elasticity. I think I look pretty good for 45. <laughs> hey, I think you look great. I'm 40. And, you know, I, I get Damn, are props. you on collagen? All right. <laughs> no. I want you to try this and, as well and experience the amazing effects it had on me. Get it back today for 51% off. Plus, receive several free bonuses before their spring sale ends by going to Health with Nino. Go to Health with Nino, folks. Get yourself a bag of collagen and start looking young again. Start looking like me and Chuck over here. Yeah, uh, get it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chuck, man, let's talk about this. This is an interesting subject because there's so many conspiracies floating around with Space Force, yes. you know? And and um, I'd like to clarify some of this, okay? Sure. First of all, Space Force. What is Space Force? Can you explain to me what is Space Force? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I usually have to do like a start with a disclaimer, just so folks right. know. Like these are my, you know, comments, not representative of the DoD. I'm not like sponsored to be on here on your channel, as you know. Uh, you reached out to me, and I was willing to jump on and talk to you about the Space Force. Um, it's kind of been my platform to be that type of digital ambassador, if you will, to help inform people about the Space Force and what kind of missions we have, uh, you know, what operations we're doing, what the new things that are happening. So um, with the Space Force, what ultimately our mission is to organize, train and equip uh, what we call now our service members are called guardians. And, and those guardians um, go out and support and defend the freedom and utilization of space um, for, you know, safe ways of using space. Um, so you're defending everything from 100 kilometers, 100 kilometers and above. Um, when the General Raymond came out as the first chief of space operations, um, he put on quote, like 100 kilometers and well up to a fin- infinity. Um, that is generally like the AOR that we we have captured within the Space Force. So uh, what that entails is the Space Force is responsible for uh, doing command and control of satellite communications. That goes everything from your terrestrial base, um, ground-based systems um, that have giant uh, satellite dishes, if you will, that communicate to satellites on orbit, everything from low Earth orbit to high Earth orbit. And uh, one of the main constellations that I like to highlight is kind of a The most critical one is GPS, precision navigation and timing. Before, in the days of old, it was all ran and managed by airmen in the Air Force. Um, GPS all entirely was managed by the DOD. So you have uh, now guardians sitting in those positions, 
where they sit at a computer just like me and you um, sending commands and making sure the state of health is good for those systems and ensuring that the satellite is on orbit where it's supposed to be um, to ensure that uh, trilateration and telemetry is being sent to those satellites. So uh, that's just one small aspect of it. You know, there's a lot so of it's, it's, ma- it's mainly satellite control. It's mainly, and it also probably goes in with, I guess you could say cyberspace as well, correct? Yeah. Yeah, cyberspace is huge. Um, we have cyber professionals within the Space Force where we protect and defend the networks that the DOD uh, requires to utilize to do satellite communications. Um, so, it, you know, our cyber professionals that day in and day out, 24-7, they're, they're monitoring our networks to ensure that there isn't any adversary actions to try and degrade or, you know, get into the back doors or, you know, try to manipulate the data being sent, you know, those those types of things that come along with cybersecurity. So how did the uh, Chinese weather balloon get by you guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's been in the news. That's been in the news quite a bit. Um, a lot of the uh, public facing stuff that's out in the news now is, you know, we, we were tracking that thing since it launched. And uh, that domain that the Chinese have started to utilize has been kind of a a new domain of operations where it's pretty challenging to detect objects of that size, at least at that elevation. Um, So we're talking like near space boundaries. So uh, the international boundary for space is about 62 miles. Uh, We consider that the Kármán line. And uh, generally when it's called the Kármán line, because that was going to be my question, where does space begin? Military airspace, uh, airspace starts at 60,000 feet. Where does space force take over? Yeah, Space Force would be at 100 kilometers above, so that's about 330,000 feet um, above at the 62-mile mark, uh, right at the Kármán line. That's the international boundary for where Earth's atmosphere and space begins. Um, Now, NASA and the DoD also consider about 50 miles as to where you are technically um, an official astronaut if you reach 50 miles um, and beyond that because you have technically reached an atmosphere where it's so thin, um, you're almost at the edge of space there. So, So, um, yeah. So let's say that let's use the Chinese balloon, the spy balloon, for example, you guys saw it lift off. Could you effectively have shot that down or or, are weapons uh, or the space force not, the space force not put weapons into space due to international treaties. Are there right. weapons? Do you guys have weapons? In, are you allowed weapons in Space Force or is it just off limits? Yeah, it's technically off limits. We don't weaponize space. Like your normal uh, capabilities to shoot weapons in space doesn't necessarily work physics wise, um, you know, the same that. way it does on Earth. Uh, when it comes to objects in space, you have pretty much no, um, how do I explain it? Let's say you put a force out and you're shooting something forward, right? You, you you shoot a gun and your bullet goes forward, but there's not a lot of, like, recoil. You pretty much control that because you have gravity with you, you have your muscles, you have everything to help you keep that gun in place. But when it comes to space, whenever you shoot something, everything has an opposite and equal reaction in space. So that momentum that you're putting forward in an object is then exerted and it goes in opposite direction. So those physics are... Really yeah, but, challenging to manage. The, but what about aspect. this? What about giving a signal to something on land to shoot it down? So from space satellites saying, "Hey, we, there's, so, a, there's a Chinese there's a Chinese yeah. balloon coming here. Why can't you send a signal down to the, the landmass to Earth to one of sure. the bases sure. and boom, shoot it down from there?" 
Yeah, we, we do have ballistic missile defense capabilities um, that are stateside. Uh, we just had a Minuteman 3 launch just a few weeks ago from Vandenberg Space Force Base. And so if, if there was a threat like that that was coming into the United States to where, you know, it had a warhead on it or something, we could utilize ballistic missile defenses and, uh, you know, in response to that. Um, with something like the Chinese balloon, just for perspective, like there's surveillance ongoing all the time, uh, 24-7. So uh, we understand, you know, certain capabilities are out there and they're trying to collect on us just like we we do them. That's that's a pretty well-known fact, right? You wanted to know what your adversaries are doing, um, you know, because that's what the Department of Defense is doing. We're, we're protecting national security, and it, it takes us having a strategic edge and understanding what our adversaries' capabilities are. So with something like the balloon, you know, it didn't pose a direct, like, physical threat or physical harm to anyone on land. Uh, you know, you we had a lot of senior leaders in discussion. There's several meetings about what to do to respond to this thing. Um, it takes several layers of, you know, identifying what capabilities it has on board, identifying what contents the balloon is made out of, identifying what types of things are coming from that specific balloon that may cause harm. Um, and then what is the result if we did respond and, and take this thing out of, out of our spaces, right? So what was the safest, most practical way without raising you know, international tensions across the board. That's usually how we would but, approach it. But maybe that was what's so clever that the Chinese did because they used a balloon and they were, yeah. it was kind of like out of your jurisdiction, right? It wasn't in the Space Force. Uh, yeah, it, was, it wasn't in our space. I mean, it's not to that say was that. was actually clever. Yeah, the electromagnetic spectrum is something that we operate within too, right? So we have different signals and frequencies that... Um, you know, are operational between satellite command and control, um, as well as like monitoring of things. So um, it is pretty clever because, you know, it is basically like a, it's a balloon with a satellite on it. And it's, it's reaching in an elevation that is uh, kind of right at the edge of space. And it's a new boundary for us. And it has a really small resolution. Uh, so it's not easy to detect with, with radar. So it's it's one of those uh, obstacles that we face as a challenge. You know, um, you know we have capabilities that we try to you know minimize our signature as well, and you know same they do the same thing. Were you all aware of the data that they they collected? And do you know the data they collected, or are we is that are we oblivious to that? Um, I don't know if we know the data that was collected. That that takes a lot of like reverse engineering and reverse calculations and being able to be like within the footprint of the data and to see what they're actually taking uh, on and off that system. Um, and then it also requires access, right? So it's just like me trying to get into like your computer at home. Uh, I, it would take me a long time to figure out access to that system and then gather the data or at least pull some data from it. Um, just depends on the encryption and you know, what that technology is built around. I mean, I think the way to answer them, honestly, is like send a big, like a Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God, look at the odds of that. Yeah. So yeah. let me ask you this. Um, what does Space Force really protect us from then? Um, so with what, well, what, what, I'm, what I'm going with this is like, what about an EMP attack or a EMP. solar flare? How do we respond to something like that? A solar flare knocks out all our satellite communications. Yeah. A solar flare knocks out uh, the 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 entire grid, or an EMP attack from, let's say, China. Sure. 
Yeah. So when it comes to like, you, you just named off like three very simple or very easy to like identify threats. Right. And each one of them has a different approach. Uh, for instance, like solar flares, we can't really combat that directly. You know, the sun is 96 million miles away. Uh, when there's a coronal mass is what it's called or a solar ejection. Um, our satellites on orbit are hardened to a degree to where it prevents, you know, those solar flares from causing any impacts to the satellite system and its capabilities. Some of the older technology, you know, something from like the seventies may not have as, you know, in depth of hardening to protect from that. Uh, there's not much we can really do besides just allow it to happen and then hope for the best <laughs> when it comes to solar ejection. But for EMPs, Again, we have some hardening capabilities for that as well. Um, thankfully, we have the nation's greatest intelligence community, and there's a 18 different members within that intelligence community, and there's persistent um, monitoring of potential threats like that. So when, when we're looking for indications and warning of a potential EMP attack, you know, some of those red flags will be raised, and you know, some of that performance of the DOD would you know, essentially take place, right? So the Space Force has a role in gathering that information and sharing that with the rest of the DOD to ensure we have uh, an appropriate response. Let's put a conspiracy theory to rest right now. Rods of God. I've heard about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've heard about this everywhere. I mean, yeah. oh, we'll hit him with the rods of God. Is yeah. that even real? No. Uh, the rods of God Sorry, is... Sorry, folks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is a, upset a lot of people. They're going to, like, unsubscribe. All right, go ahead. Right, yeah. I, I mean, it's a really cool sci-fi theory uh, to put rods of God in space, but when it comes to international treaties and the weaponization of space, um, that definitely is prohibited. And one thing, too, to note is that, you know, our international partners that are operating in space also want to utilize space in a free uh, safe, secure nature. And um, that that does come with, you know, really no laws or limits to what you can do in space um, just because of the international cohesiveness. Um, and there's there's not a lot of laws and policies that are established that really prevent any one country uh, to act or, you know, operate in space the way they want to. Um, now, I have a, a really good friend of mine. She's a a uh, space lawyer, and she could probably speak more. A educated. space lawyer? Yeah, her she studies space policy and law, and uh, so she's like on the back of her hand. Space policy and law, wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and she's really intelligent, um, goes way over my head most of the time. Uh, thankfully, I'm not in that arena. I, I focus on space operations. But, um, yeah, the, the utilization of space is interesting and dynamic, so – uh, when it comes to protecting and defending objects in space, um, you know, we, we monitor space and ensure that there's no adversary nation wanting to look, you know, snuggle up close to one of our satellites and potentially take it out or destroy it. You know, that's something that is a very real threat now. Um, and, you know, I think it was back in 2016, 2015 timeframe, General Hyten, he was the four-star general. He talked about some of our capabilities in space and being able to see uh, certain satellites and what they're doing and, you know, ad identifying that the space domain is, you know, critical infrastructure for the United States. And we want to protect and defend that for all Americans, not just for us. And then to include our international partners, um, we have a lot of international allies that have interests for their capabilities, you know, when it comes to communications, when it comes to imagery, when it comes to 
you know, just about anything you name it um, that's enabled by space. Uh, the Space Force is right there to help and defend those capabilities. Where does uh, Antarctica fit into all this? Isn't that off limits? So how yeah, does I, get, that space I get that question, too, with the Antarctica um, about it being off limits. I don't know the entirety of the treaty. I, I know that Antarctica is, you know, it's an international um, friendship, right? So everyone that signed the treaty, like it's not going to be claimed territory. Um, you know, there's different international countries that have access to Antarctica. And I think what I what I try to put into perspective is that it's not a habitable landmass. Um, yes, there are scientists there. Yes, there is science. So, on well, yeah, there's a lot of people going down there. There's a lot of politicians yeah. make trips down there. Why? Yeah, there's there's a lot of really unique science that is taking place down there. I personally don't know what's going on. Um, and so you're not you're I've, not privy to anything that could be going on. Yeah, down I don't there. know. I mean, okay, down in Antarctica, it's it's a really challenging location. I I try to put it in a concept like this. It it takes a lot of logistics to send food and fuel and resources down to Antarctica. Nothing is plentiful down there, uh, even drinking water. Um, so the logistics just to get to and from Antarctica are pretty demanding. Um, I used to have a really good friend of mine who was a pilot for C-130s. He would fly to Antarctica and he would send science crews and news media and stuff like that uh, out there. Um, And he would just talk about like, it's super harsh conditions. He can't even keep the jet, you know, on Antarctica for very long because components start to freeze up and, you know, things start to break just because of the harsh conditions. And there's certain windows of opportunity, you know, to be able to fly down there just because of the weather and such. But yeah, it's it's not something that is really easy to travel to and stay there for long periods of time, from what I know, anyways. Right, right, right. Um, so let me ask you this: Where does NASA fit into all this? I mean, yeah. you told me earlier that NASA is strictly commercial. Is that what you said? It's a yeah. So so NASA is a, a federal um, you know organization. So it is funded by the federal government, but uh, primarily NASA's role is like science, research, and development. And so they do more of the civilian, you know, space sciences and research and development focused areas. Um, primarily what, what NASA's role in relationship to the Space Force is, you know, there, there are facilities that NASA has that the Space Force is in partnership with to launch, you know, rockets and, and payloads into space. Um, you know, we have the Kennedy Space Center and uh, launch facilities down at Cape Canaveral. Um, so we, we have those partnerships pretty closely. And then of course, you know, we, we send astronauts into space to the international space station. So, um, also NASA, you know, supported and federally funded that way as well. So they, that's their role in the space sector. So you you don't really like work together too much. It's not really, you're more about the defense of the country, making sure everything works properly for the satellites. Absolutely, They're more for science and research. Right. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's stuff that, you know, NASA is doing federal government like science research and development that helps, you know, educate the Space Force when it comes to certain capabilities. So when we're launching a new space um, capability for a satellite, maybe their components that they're fielding in space will enable a future satellite development um, that will, you know, go into space at some point for DOD purposes or vice versa. How many um, how many satellites do we have in orbit right now i mean i've heard it's just a lot of junk up there right now just yeah um i think ballpark off the time i haven't looked at my numbers lately but there's somewhere over twenty six thousand different objects that are monitored on a daily basis Twenty six thousand. 
26,000 different objects in space. That could be satellites that are active or not active. Uh, that could be debris from previous space launches. Uh, one of the debris clouds that we tracked closely was uh, two satellites had basically crashed into each other, Iridium satellite back in 2007, and that caused a pretty significant debris cloud that we still track and monitor um, and ensure that nothing is going to cause any issues to certain systems that are in space. Is space um, as like polluted as our oceans are? <laughs> I mean, space pretty is pretty bad. contested. I mean, just and throwing crap up there? Like, I mean, geez. I would say more in the low Earth orbit, it's a lot more uh, challenging to get, you know, objects into space. But thinking about space and concept of like the ocean, you know, being polluted, we still have a lot of space. I hate to say this redundantly, but space in space, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we have satellites in space that are as large as a school bus, you know, and and sometimes larger, you know, and, and we're talking, you know, anything, everything to include like solar panels to the bus and the payload to, you know, certain design features of it. And th these things are massive, you know. And people need to go up there to work on these satellites, correct? No, is that even possible, or, or is it going when so we had, fast? I don't see how. When we had the shuttle program, um, when we had the space shuttle program, we had a satellite where um, that the whole design of the space shuttle in the in the actual cargo bay was for us to go up and conduct maintenance on the satellite. So we would go up there and get in close proximity, and then grab the satellite, put it inside the shuttle, and the the astronauts would be able to perform maintenance on there. Um, now technology has allowed us to where uh, longevity of satellites is anywhere between 15 to like 25 years plus. And so we, we don't necessarily need to conduct maintenance on them anymore. Most of our telemetry command and control that's down on, on the ground will give us indications of things that might be occurring on the satellite where we can kind of prolong the life or send updates and, you know, keep the system active. So people aren't actually going up there to work on the satellites. That's impossible because no. they're going no. too fast, right? Yeah, I mean, but you're thinking International Space Station travels over 17,000 miles per hour in relation to the Earth. So when, when you're so putting something... how do we something, get there and do anything up there if it's going 17,000 miles an hour? Just, we have really, really good scientists and engineers that understand uh, the laws of physics and can be able to put a system up there and get really, really close. <laughs> well, you know, all my flat earthers are going to go crazy over this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's yeah. your thoughts on a? So let's 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 talk a little bit about the UFOs that people are talking about right now. Do yeah, you, sure. Are you able to talk on that? Is it something that you're so discuss? Honestly, with the UFOs. Um, what I've seen in the media is about as much as I know. And really? you know, even you even are us, the captain in Space Force. Yeah. 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 In wow. even in uniform, like even us guys um and gals that uh that have seen the media articles and have seen, you know, the, the sources being released, we have questions. You know, we're right. like, Hey, what's going on? And there's not a lot You have questions? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this is very compartmentalized. Yeah, it's that's very one thing my audience can take away yeah. from this is just how compartmentalized this all really is. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's um, yeah, unless you have a need to know, um, you're not going to know. And, you know, that that is just the way the government operates. And so it's it's one of those things where, like, you know, if it's compartmentalized to that degree, you know, what's allowed in the public facing, that's not up to me to decide. You know, there's politicians on Capitol Hill. There's military leaders out there that um, will make those decisions and, you know, what will be you know, provided for information that, you know, we'll see if I even find out. So, Are you aware of maybe any secret space programs at all? 
Uh, I mean, secret space programs outside of what is already public? No, not really. Like, there's there's definitely space operations that take place, um, you know, in defense of national security, and there's a good reason for why there are things that are close hold, and that is just to maintain a strategic advantage over our adversary, right? So, but there's um, never been where you're you're kind of just like, hmm, that doesn't make sense. Or, or, uh, you know, oh yeah. I mean, us as, you know, uniform wearers, we don't, we don't know all the things, you know, right. so, like we, we know as much as we need to know when it comes down to it. And, and that's just the way it is. There's, uh, there's reasons for protections and security. And I honestly don't ask questions either. Like <laughs> I stay in my lane <laughs> so I don't get into trouble. And, uh, you know, I, I do my well, job. This interview doesn't get you in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so and then, uh, that's about as far as I go. <laughs> So let me ask you, what about these UFOs that have been supposedly shot down? Weren't you guys alerted on this? Yeah, those, honestly, like the ones I saw on the news, that was the first time I ever seen them. Um, wow. And unidentified flying objects being being the way that that term is, um, I, I don't even know. The one balloon that was shot down, you know, we got a lot of information and, you know, we were provided a lot of details on it. And then the other ones that have happened, I think there were still – um, a lot of people trying to figure out like what those were, where they originated from and even where they went after they were taken down. So uh, there was still a lot of information that wasn't, you know, compiled. This just shows me just high, how highly compartmentalized everything is. This is, yeah. yeah, I would think you would have known right off the bat. Oh, those were this, this or that. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I wish I could give you a solid answer. I don't, wow. I mean, I, but what I see in the news is, uh, as close as I got, <laughs> My wife was, I think, the one that actually told me about the second one or a third one, whatever. Like, she's like, "Did you know that there's more?" I'm like, "I had no idea." <laughs> You're the captain of the space force. Yeah, I'm. I'm a captain. <laughs> a captain. Well, okay, so let me ask you about where do you see space force going? Do you think it's going to be the biggest branch of the military? Do you think it'll ever get to that level? I don't know if it'll be the biggest. I know um, right now we are absolutely the smallest. Um, we have just over 15,000 guardians, and that's including civilians as well as uniform wearers. When the Space Force first started, we were about a 50-50 split between civilians and military uh, uniform wearers. And we are slowly get growing. Um, right now, I think our accessions rate on the enlisted side, as well as like inter-service transfers, um, are about 500 per year. And that's like fiscal year. Um, and then, of course, we have a lot of recruitment and, and more guardians coming in. Um, we, we'll certainly grow. There's a lot of um, appreciation for the Space Force, a lot of excitement too built behind it, which I'm glad. Um, I try to empower those that are interested in space because, you know, folk, if you remember like going through grade school, you know, if you were really excited about space, you were kind of the nerdy type. You know, you weren't the, the most popular. Everyone wanted to be an school. astronaut when they're kids. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for me, it's exciting because I was that nerdy kid in school and, and here I am now in the Space Force and doing really cool stuff with I wish you would wear your, uh, your uniform. On the, yeah. on the, <laughs> what is it? Do you have it with you? Uh, it's in my closet. I'd, I'd have to go grab it. But yeah, is I have it, does it Space look like Force something from Star Trek or something? No, we, we wear the Air Force <laughs> uniform right now. Okay. Um, the same because we're a part of the Department of the Air Force. Got and you. so similar to how the Navy and the Marine Corps are broken out. Um, you have the Department of the Navy with the the Navy as its own branch of military, and then the Marine Corps. Um, so we Space Forces Department uh, or a part of the Department of the Air Force, and our I guess 
grown-up sister service, if you will, is the Air Force. And then we have the Space Force within the Department of the Air Force. So how would something like commercial space travel uh, conflict or coordinate with you guys? Because I know yeah. just out here in New Mexico, there's spaceports where they're trying to, to launch Virgin mm-hmm. air uh, space travel. And I don't even know if they're doing it yet. Yeah. I know, uh, isn't Bezos doing something outside of Van Horn? Do you guys have to monitor them as well? Or is there some kind of... Yeah. How does that... So we, do, we do space domain awareness as well. Um, space domain awareness is basically our utilization of, of radars and um, other sites all over the world that help us track uh, space objects and anything launched, excuse me, into space. And so when it comes to civilian, like commercial space travel... Um, DOD space force, uh, the most that we do is just ensure that, you know, whatever they're launching into space, isn't going to either, uh, potentially damage or threaten a space system that's already operational. Um, when it comes to human space flight, there is, you know, we have a DOD, uh, section that manages, um, human space flight where we ultimately just monitor, you know, the return and sending of humans into space, um, we're, we're required to like recover, you know, the, the people that come back from space, you know, where are they already launching commercial space travel right now? Is that already happening? So to some degree, it's not um, exponential, you know, uh, Elon Musk is one of the larger, you know, SpaceX compatriots. And then you have Bezos and then you have, um, who is the other guy from Virgin? Um, or no, um, yeah. Bronson or Brunson. Yeah. Branson. Yeah. 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 So, Commercial space travel is, is interesting. Um, you know, we, we definitely keep an eye on things. You know, we just make sure that they're good to go. There's not like an FAA for space, if you will. Um, the Space Force does have a lot of capabilities to where we can keep an eye on stuff, you know, that's in space and help report any potential impacts. Because, um, right, see, I, I thought so, – so this really has more, in a sense, has a lot to do with cyberspace, Space yeah. Force. I mean, you're controlling all the satellites and – Thus, cyberspace here. It's really, you're not really doing anything with weaponry. Up there. If, tell me if I got nope. this right. You're really yeah. not doing anything with weaponry. There is no rods of God up there that can yeah. target something and instantly, boom, it knocks it out. Right. None of that is existing in Space Force. Right, exactly. Yeah, we have. Wow. So there's there's satellites on orbit um, that do, you know, different um, things for the DOD, primarily satellite communications and then. You know, there's all the ISR capabilities that, you know, partnership with the NRO, right, um, for ISR capes. And then, of course, it comes to space launch. We have, you know, our rockets that we, you know, um, acquired a contract with SpaceX to have the rockets and then have them send up some of the payloads that uh, the DOD utilizes. Um, And then you have radar facilities where the radar facilities primarily use um, detection of potential ballistic missiles that come inbound or hypersonic glide vehicles. But, but you would like also that. deal with like cyber attacks and things of that nature, correct? Yep. And then, and then cyberspace is a huge critical component too of, you know, defending and protecting, you know, the networks that enable us to do satellite command and control and enable us to do satellite communications. Um, so we have the cyberspace uh, professionals there with us to make sure that we we don't lose that capability as well. So how how vulnerable is our grid? You know, our grid, our our cyberspace. How vulnerable are Americans to this? Is it are you I guys mean, watching it closely, or is it very vulnerable? When it comes to like civilian infrastructure, um, the 
the DOD, like cyber professionals, there there's civilian protection measures already in place when it comes to like critical infrastructure, uh, for instance, like power grids and stuff. You know, it's it's being monitored. It we keep track of it. So uh, so because the, so, there's a lot of people out there saying that we're going to yeah. get hit, we're knock out <laughs> our entire grid. Vulnerabilities exist all day, every day, 24-7. And thankfully, we're not in a world of conflict right now where it's so exponential to where something could be completely taken down. Um, I beg to and, differ. And, <laughs> right, I beg well, to differ on that one. Yeah, we're we're not in a like a fisticuffs kind of conflict where like, you know, hey, this country, we're, we're, go- we're shooting weapons at each other, you know, and, and you know, costing lives, costing American lives, right? Um, that's, that's always the potential. It's the reason why we have a DOD is to prevent that. Um, but you know, the grid's vulnerable that, that's, that's pretty simple to say that I'm a, I have a master's in cybersecurity and, uh, I studied critical infrastructure and my, my certification is in threat protection. And so when you, when you're talking about critical infrastructure, when you're talking about like navigation capabilities and those things, it, it's vulnerable. Um, however, we have what we consider protective measures in place to prevent those things from happening. Um, and then of course, response actions to, to try to bring them back online if they're down for long periods of time. Um, thankfully so, we haven't experienced anything that extreme yet. So are we the first with space force or does China, Russia and other countries have something comparable to, to space force? Or are we the ones, are we pioneering this? We definitely are pioneering like our own, uh, space force. There are other countries that do have like space professionals um, that, you know, o- operate and monitor in space, but their alignment is much different than ours. Uh, with us having our branch of military within the Department of Defense, um, I'd have to go through and honestly research like which countries actually do have a, a physical space force. I know that we work with some allied nations that are working to in- improve their um, space programs as well and their space defense capabilities um, that we we partner with uh, all the time so are you familiar with any of the Vatican's space programs or anything like that I know there's sat up there's a uh, observatories all over uh, yeah. that are sponsored by the Vatican or, or funded by the Vatican are you uh, sure. are, are you are you familiar yeah, that, with their that projects falls more into like the civilian space you know world that's more of like civilian uh, scientists and civilian research and development and observation stuff. So, so you you stay in your lane. Yeah, we absolutely do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, I don't want to get you in trouble, man. I'm not trying to. No, get you in trouble. no, it's fine. Uh, so we we know we have partnerships with like civilian companies um, that you know help us provide some space capabilities. Like Lockheed Martin. And, yeah, Lockheed Martin and Boeing. Um, you know, so there's a lot of commercial relationships with the DoD. Uh, but when it comes to like civilian space, you know, there's a, a group called, uh, I think it, what is it called? The Community of Concerned Scientists, I think is what they're called. Yeah. Um, but they have a really great database on like filtering the types of objects that are in space, you know, what kind of satellite communications, what are weather satellites, what are imagery satellites, you know, um, that's like an all civilian population group of scientists or um, what do I call them? Like a, uh, Civilian scientists, uh, civilian. I was going to touch on that actually. People, what about yeah. like a, a civilian scientist who builds a rocket in his garage and goes yeah. up to the desert to launch it? Like, yeah. do you watch it? How do you know? I, I saw mean, I saw a video recently of the GoFast company that okay. kind of did something similar. Like, hey, yeah, they built a rocket and it went up to space. 
Um, you know, we, we encourage commercial companies to go out and, you know, develop something that goes into space. You know, we have universities all over the world that uh, make satellites and put them into space. And, you know, they, they actually bring them down for their own internal science and, and research within those universities. So, uh, you know, it's, like I said, Department of Defense and then with the Space Force, it is our job to make sure that utilization of space is free and provided to the public. Didn't so, didn't Elon Musk send something up that what was that that object? I caught it on video. Actually, my sister caught it on video, and they said that it was Elon Musk launching a satellite of some kind. It was a, it would look like a bright shooting star going through uh, the atmosphere. I mean, it was unbelievable. And it was, it yeah. was I have it on video actually. What yeah, was that it? was that was just the Falcon Nine. Uh, I think that one was the Falcon Nine rocket, and it's um, it's engines. Is that little very... rocket, a rocket, can show over the whole northern hemisphere. Like, yeah, the crazy part is, I was in Las Vegas, Nevada, um, this last year, and there was a launch from Vandenberg Space Force Base, which is in California, and we saw the rocket from where we were in Nevada, going up into space. That was that was wild to me to be able to see a rocket from that distance going into space because of how bright it was and, you know, that, that engine's capability to put something into space. So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty remarkable. What they can, can we do. dispel any rumors of, uh, the firmament or the no, dome sure. or, uh, and I'm going to, I am definitely going <laughs> to differ with you on going to the yeah. moon. <laughs> no, that's, that's okay. <laughs> I don't believe we went to the moon, but, but, uh, but can you talk about the firmament? People say there's a dome, there's something sure. that we, I don't know if it's Van Allen belt that we can't get past that they say that we can't get past. Or there's some yeah. kind of d- dome, right. electromagnetic structure. I mean, grid. What, what, is there something there that you know? So of? the Van Allen radiation uh, belts as what was discovered, I think back in the fifties, um, that was us, you know, essentially probing space, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a funny <laughs> term, uh, but to find out like what types of radiation was up there. Right. And what uh, extreme values there are for radiation and then, you know, over over time, we were able to study like, hey, this amount of radiation is very dangerous to the humans or dangerous to components. So we need to develop technology to harden it. Um, and so we did. You know, we were able to come up with certain technology and, and capabilities for our astronauts to safely uh, go through the Van Allen radiation belts. Um, and of course, we've learned, you know, specific trajectories are better than others when it comes to launching rockets into space. Um, that prevents or at least mitigates the exposure of radiation um, up to a certain elevation. Um, the firmament, I get that quite a bit. I, I am a Christian. I, I have been baptized. I, I go to church regularly. Um, I know Genesis, and it talks about the firmament. And um, so I, I oftentimes have to approach this topic lightly, but you know, it's it's one of those ones where you know I'm I'm not one to like dispel your beliefs, but you know, the dome over the earth is, is the concept that's within, you know, within the Bible. And, you know, that's perfectly fine within scripture. And we have, you know, gone into space and we have gotten outside of our atmosphere and we do have satellites that provide us capabilities day to day. Um, I did a TikTok video on this topic, I think about two months ago, kind of given my perception of it. And, you know, the transferring of like your physical self, in beyond the dome is is one thing, right? We can go out into space and conduct science, but spiritually, you know, that that barrier may be very present. So when we pass in life and in, in go up into the heavens, 
um, you know, that that might be the barrier where we pass through in a spiritual realm versus uh, physical realm. That's interesting. So that, that was that's, interesting. that's kind of the only way I can interpret it, you know, personally, uh, just because I, I am a Christian and I, I do, you know, follow the Bible in a lot of other ways. And I, and I operate in space, right? Like I do space operations. And um, so it, it's, it's a hard conversation to have with some people that are like very firm believers of the firmament. Um, but I always tell people I'm willing to listen to your views. If you're willing to listen to mine, everybody yeah, has an opinion. 1000%. Let me ask you another yeah. question. Then that leads me to this one. Where does the curvature of the earth begin at least optically? Because when I'm up in a plane, I don't see it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll be flying at 36,000 feet and I'll look out and everything just looks flat. You're right. I'm like, where's the curvature? Where does that begin? At what altitude are you before you start seeing the curvature of the, of the, of the planet? Um, From the, from the science, from the research that I've seen, like as far as videos, when it comes to breaking the boundary between earth and space, you can really start to see the curvature of earth. Once you get to that Carmen line, um, about 62 miles up and you begin to see, you know, a slight curvature. The earth is massive when it comes yeah. to a six foot person inside of a, or, you know, average. Six so foot how, how far up do you start to see the curvature? Carmine? About 62 miles. Yeah. Uh, 100 kilometers, 62 miles up. Um, that's, that's when you, you start barely to, begin to see the curvature. When you start to really begin. So when people say the earth on, is flat, I'm in a plane, I'm yeah. looking at it. It's flat. I mean, even me, I'm like, yeah. okay, it looks very flat to me. <laughs> You're saying like, no, we have to go up 62 miles and even to even start seeing the curvature. Yeah. Based on what I've, what I've seen in videos, that's usually about the time when, especially when rockets start to leave atmosphere, you know, they, they live stream the rocket launches quite a bit. And, you know, you can find them all the time. There's a, a space launch calendar on Spaceflight now. You can watch most of the SpaceX launches and you'll see, you know, they have cameras on board uh, the rocket bodies for to and from now. And you really start to see the curvature of Earth once it starts breaking that Kármán line boundary, um, and even upon reentry. And then, of course, um, you know, when it, take, when it talks about like air travel, right, if you go in one direction for a long period in time, Let's say you just left from California and you just continued in a westward direction all the way around the earth. You would eventually come back up to the same point, but you'd be approaching from the opposite side. Um, That's been one method of kind of saying, hey, the earth is generally round because if you flew westward far enough, you'd eventually come back around and be crossing the east coast of the United States uh, and coming back to California. So it's uh, it's harder to see at like 30,000 feet, you know. Can't really. Well, we've make out we've the explored curvature. more, more. We've explored more of space than we have our own oceans. Yeah, that's that's what really. Yeah, I would mm-hmm. say there might be uh, some really cool photos from the U two Dragon Lady uh, being up at about sixty thousand feet. You might be able to see curvature of Earth, you know, around that point too. Um, but it's really hard to get and stay and maintain up at sixty thousand feet. The, the air is so thin up there so it's it's not easy for us to operate in that environment for long periods of time um and then what about people that that are going to say hey i've we've heard that we've never gotten past lower earth orbit you know there's there's i've i've heard people say that that we've got we've not been able to go outside of lower earth's orbit yeah humans wise we have no reason to go out beyond low earth orbit um you're you're talking several hundred miles out into space um, logistically just, uh, it's a logistic challenge to put like humans in space that far out. 
Uh, so then how the hell did we go to the moon? How did we get to the moon? That's what I was going to say is like satellite <laughs> capabilities and much larger rockets, on the other hand. But you really uh, think we did that in the 60s? That, I, I that think, takes it uh, much farther. <laughs> we should do another segment on that. Yeah. two. I mean, 200,000 miles to get to the moon. Are you, are you no open easy to feet. like at least to have maybe a conversation? We go, sure. Maybe we yeah. didn't go to the moon. Yeah. I mean, could it uh, have been done in a hall basement could it have been done on a, a on a marine base on a base to i mean I well we went to the moon more than one time and we've okay. had more than just a couple astronauts land on the moon we've had you know 12 different astronauts go onto the moon and i think um a lot of the population they like hone in on the one event right the biggest the most monumental one that's got the quotes going everywhere uh, but in general like historically we had over 12 different astronauts touch the surface of the moon and, you know, we've had uh, just recently we had the Artemis um, launch with the SLS where we sent Orion around the moon and um, was able to return. So from, why is it so time. hard to get outside lower Earth orbit? I don't understand that then. Like, so, so why is that so difficult if we do it so often? I'm confused. Sure. Yeah. So we have satellites that do operate in other orbits like MEO and GEO, uh, geostationary Earth orbit. And then we have uh, a highly elliptical orbit. Um, that term you can find is called Molnaya and the Molnaya orbit, you know, is a satellite that operates like you have a very high propagated path. You know, it's usually kind of covering the poles. And then when it comes back down, it's really close to earth and then it kind of slingshots back. It looks like a hula hoop almost, um, to get us out to the moon is generally based on the amount of fuel it takes to get us out there and return. Um, the, you said it was dangerous for people to be outside the the lower space orbit, right? It's dangerous. Why is it dangerous? Well, when it comes to going beyond Leo, you're, you have to now incorporate life sustainment systems. You have to incorporate um, much more hardened technology when it comes to anti-radiation capabilities. You have to incorporate large amounts of fuel uh, storage on board. And then that also is a mass, you know, that, that comes down to weight and our ability to send a rocket into space that will have a trajectory long enough to burn and go beyond low earth orbit and outside of that. So uh, how did we get to the moon and back then? Like we, we, got we enough, rely, how we rely we, on magnetic how did we come fields. back. We slingshot around the moon or what? Yeah, We slingshot around the moon. We use the really? magnetic I was forces. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We use the magnetic forces or Lagrange points um, between the two objects to help us, uh, navigate specific systems that go to and from the moon. Um, so we have, you know, moon orbiting systems that are out there, and we, we rely on that engineering and science to take us to and from the moon. Where um, does the radiation generally. belt stop? The Van Allen radiation Van belts? Allen, yeah. Um, off the top of my head, I don't recall where exactly they stop. Um, they, they go out pretty far. Um, I'd have to honestly look it up exactly how far we've detected uh the most amount of radiation up to a certain point. Um, again, this falls into more of the science research and, and development side of things. So, um, but I'm just beyond, saying, cause I mean, depending on how far it goes out, we just sure. put our astronauts on the moon to just bounce around up there and, and all this radiation. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, it, that was right <laughs> a risk, a risk to exposure of radiation is something that the astronauts are very well aware of. And when it comes to, uh, the development of, you know, the spacesuits and, you know, preventing that exposure to radiation. There's there's a lot of technology built into the types of materials 
um, even the types of internal components to help regulate like body temperatures and oxygen and, and all of those major critical components to keep the body from overheating or getting highly exposed to radiation. Um, even the lenses you see on the astronauts' helmets, you know, they have to be made from a, a specific composite material that can protect them from radiation, but still be able to see. Um, and that's, that's a pretty critical um, amount of science that it takes to go into just the design of a spacesuit to allow an astronaut to jump around on the moon and, and do what they need to do to collect samples. So, All right. I still um, don't believe it, but I'm going to tell you what, I'd like to bring you on for another segment if you're yeah. ever wanting to do so. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, this, it's exciting conversations, you know, to give uh, my perspective. Again, civilian space exploration is not my my strong suit, but, you know, I, I can certainly speak to it. Oh, it's, it's fun. This has yeah. been an awesome, awesome interview, Chuck. Yeah. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Chuck Ruffin, uh, Space Force captain, one of the captains, one yeah, of the captains game. of Space Force, <laughs> okay, the captain, one of the captains. Uh, I think we've learned a lot here, man. I think you've helped myself and my audience to understand what Space Force, what your capabilities are, what you guys actually do. Um, I've learned it's very highly compartmentalized. I've learned that much. But, yeah. um, man, thank you, Chuck, for giving me your time and, and, and joining me. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I'll get you on for a second, a segment at some point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, feel free to reach out. I would love to have another another conversation, even teach more about the Space Force. You know, that was a very uh, wave top, like scratch the surface. If there are specific questions you have about realignment of forces or how inner service. I wonder if I could bring or... a flat earther on with you and you just. I'll let you two go at it. I'll just be a referee. (laughs) It'll be hard. They're so challenging to convince. And, you know, it's, uh, it's fun. It's fun for me. I I don't mind. Like I will listen and I'll talk and I'll I'll talk my ears off, you know, (laughs) to, to would you do that? Would you be open to it? Sure. Yeah. If you want to have someone come on, we'll, we'll have a, as long as they're fun. If you're out there and you're listening, I want you to come on and talk to Chuck here about your flat earth uh, (laughs) theories. So, Chuck, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for giving me your time. I know. Yeah, you- absolutely. No, thank you for having me again on your uh, platform. Like I said, I've, I've seen your videos and seen your podcasts, and I, I'm just thankful you reached out to me, and I appreciate it so much. Where can people find you? Um, you can find me on um, Instagram as Space Force Chuck. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I have um, two pages, Chuck Ruffin, and then I have a What's Up Chuck pay, uh, group. And then I'm also on TikTok as Space Force Chuck. So it's basically Space Force Chuck. Yep. Instagram, yep. TikTok, and what's the other one? Uh, Facebook. Yep. What is it, Space Force Chuck? Yeah, I have a What's Up Chuck group, and then just Chuck Ruffin is just a Facebook page I have. But it's all tied back. You can find my all my information to Space Force Chuck pretty much everywhere. Cool. All right, Chuck. Take care of yourself, and thank you very yeah. much. Thank you, you for too. your thank service. You. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, you so much. It. All right, buddy. Take care. Awesome. Have a good one.